Welcome to episode 23 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we talk to the experts and get them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional results in the property sector. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm excited to be sharing this time with you. If you love this podcast, click on the subscribe button so that you never miss another episode. A nice review mightn't hurt as well. If you're, uh, I know you're going to want to be joining me for this next conversation. My guest this week is Ian Ugarte. Ian's been in the industry a long time and has had tremendous success in property development. Having been engaged in many out-of-the-box projects, Ian is passionate about creating multiple income streams from single investments. With a background in plumbing, building, and with a Bachelor of Education, Ian is passionate about sharing his knowledge and helping investors not only to make money from their endeavours, but also create developments that are both affordable and community-minded. Today I've invited Ian to share his story. He brings a unique perspective to our conversation on the property journey and I'm very excited to have him join me on this podcast. Welcome Ian. Ian Ugarte, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thank you for having me. I actually want to have you back because you've got a brain that I really want to pick. You're one of those um, engaging and I probably say polarizing characters out there that just seems to be getting madder with age and I absolutely love it. I'm a big fan. Um, but today I've got you in um, as part of our special uh, episode series where we're going property investing from start to finish and I want to talk to you um, about creative investment strategies because you're not really sort of a, a buyer hold blue chip property sort of person and and maybe your strategy can't necessarily be defined because it's always evolving and and changing can you talk us through about your expertise and your property journey yeah for sure i mean i'm i'm very fortunate um having grown up around a my my, everyone in my family are plumbers um, including myself so my dad my brother my nephew my brother-in-law and myself all plumbers Uh, i often say my mum's a plumber but she's not um, (laughs) She became a brickies labourer instead. Is, is the <laughs> go with joke? Um, I saw property all day long, and um, I saw my dad invest in property twice and lose a lot of money. And I thought I'd do the same thing, go down the negative gearing trap, um, which all Australians seem to do for some reason. Because I, I, there's there's one very good reason: people Australians just hate paying tax. Yeah. So if I can get my tax back, I'm happy to lose seventy cents so I can get thirty cents back. So that's the crazy thing about negative gearing. Mm. So I um, worked out at one point in time, half, having um, I was pretty young. I bought seven. Uh, I had seven properties in my name um, at a very young age, and um, those properties were costing me thirty six thousand dollars a year in negative cash flow. Now. Um, I didn't quite understand it back then. That that thirty six thousand dollars didn't mean I was getting thirty six back. It meant that I was getting twelve thousand back. But I didn't think I didn't know that. So I wondered why there was less money in my bank account. And every time there was less money in my bank account, I went out and bought another negative property to get more money in my bank account. But I had less. <laughs> Finally worked it out at number seven. Um, so that's when we bought our first positive cash flow property. And the way that I did that was I realised that there were, we had a better outcome if we could get multiple rents coming in on the one property. And um, I'm, I'm a developer. Uh, and every deal that I've done from, um, so I've been in property now 30 years from my first investment to today. And um, I, I realised that every property deal that I've done only recently, not one of them has ever been a standard contract of sale not mm. one deal since the beginning to now has ever been done that including the first home i bought which was 
um, a house that was under height um, downstairs and they were selling us a two-story house and it wasn't two stories um, because the height was too low. So I negotiated um, for that deal to happen so that I jacked the house up and that I paid for a jacked up house um, and they paid the cost of that. Um, you know, we've done it. I was talking to my partner recently and, and um, telling her about a deal that we did on um, a, a house on the land that was on, a, on the Hawkesbury River and this guy had lost his parents and he'd had an accident um, and his compensation money had run out and he wasn't fully there. So um, he was behind a lot of payments and a lot of bits and pieces and he was going to lose the house. So we managed to get him a lawyer, um, work with his lawyer, and we did this deal where we bought the property. Um, it was boat access property. I had the barge on the Hawkesbury at the time. So we delivered a container, put all his stuff in the container. Um, then we... Um, had to buy him a Norton motorcycle, a V-dub um, a combi, get his stuff to Cairns to his sister's place, um, and he was happy to do the deal that way. So well. that then evolved to me doing more and more, um, you know, really interesting deals, and I love the thrill of the chase. I mm. love the thrill of being able to help someone out because that helped him out. He was going to lose everything anyway, but he actually ended up with some money by doing it the way that we did it, um, and a V-dub and a motorcycle. And, you know, then started to formulate different aspects of investing. And about 10 years ago, um, I had my moment of truth. Um, that moment of truth was that having become a full-time developer, a full-time property investor, um, having achieved what I thought would have been success, which was money in my bank account with lots of zeros, um, I was the most unhappiest I'd ever been in my entire life. So I then realised that... Um, Rich people have a lot of money and wealthy people have time to spend it. Mm. My moment came to me in a very severe way um, to the point where I was 12 hours from committing probably the most selfish act on earth, which was um, to end my life. And thankfully for, um, thankfully for a few people around me, I didn't go through with that moment. And um, I then looked at the marketplace and I said, well, what is it that I'm doing? Is it worth building for? Is it worth doing subdivisions and building four bedroom, two bathroom houses? Because it doesn't seem to do anything for community. If anything, I started to research and starts to break the community apart. Yeah. And um, this is a very long answer to your first question. No, no, um, no. <laughs> I'm enjoying um, so I started to do research and um, a, a team, one of my, my Mary Poppins, we call her, um, my EAPA gatekeeper um, who came into my life um, about that time started doing research and we started to realise that 60 to 80% of the people looking for accommodation today, right now, are singles or couples and yet 60 to 80% of the available rental properties on the market are three, four and five bedroom houses. Yes. So why is it that we're building more four bedroom houses when the majority of the people that need to rent them are singles or couples? Why give them something that they don't need? Mm. And people will say, agents will say, oh, they love renting four bedroom houses. No, they don't. They actually don't like the cost of them. And if you give them a smaller space, they're much happier um, because they can save money and they can have a better outcome. So yeah. we started to look down and I started to look at policies around creating co-living properties. Now, most people would say, oh, you're talking about the old boarding houses where dirty old men live in student accommodation. Yeah. And that's so far from the truth. We don't do student accommodation. We don't do dirty old men. What <laughs> we do is um, co-living properties that have professionals in them. And um, what I needed 10 years ago was me today, a person 
that knew about all the regulations and all the policies and all the fire safety and the disability access and disability discrimination and, um, you know, NDIS has now come into play with them as well. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you need to know that I didn't know, but I couldn't find someone to tell it to me. I could find individuals which all contradicted each other. And so I had to become a specialist for myself. And it took about three years to get it all into my head. And since then, what that has opened up for me is I now become um, a policymaker, an advisor to government, an advisor to councils, um, and a key expert in any court cases that come up as well. What we've done is we've created a marketplace that really didn't exist in bulk in Australia, which gives people... um, the investor, a double-digit return. So we're talking, you know, 10% plus if they do this right. Um, Low risk because if I've got um, one vacancy in the property, I've still got four other rents coming in. So I'm much better off than a standard rental that's going to be empty. Um, The people inside the house are saving themselves one-third to one-half of their normal weekly rent, including utilities in that cost. Um, which means that they're saving money so that they can get into property um, and buy their own home as well. And then the government um, has a benefit as well. The benefit of the government is that by me producing more housing of the requirement of the demographic, what it means is that the one-third of the housing waiting list shouldn't be on the waiting list, are coming and moving into my properties, which means it relieves the pressure on the government social housing outlet. Yes. Not because they just shouldn't be on the so they're, they're, they're middle-class people on the low socio social social housing list. And so for me, I look at that and I go, has anyone lost out of what we've done? And the answer is no. Um, and I really love what I do every day. We, from that day 10 years ago where I decided that I was going to pivot the business and make a difference and make a change to housing in Australia, um, we came up with the slogan, it needs to make sense before it makes dollars. It needs to make um, um a benefit to community, and secondly, it needs to be financial gain for um, everyone involved. And if it doesn't do both things, then we don't do the deal. Well, it was a pretty, it was a pretty dark way to come to that realization. But obviously, the the, the light on the on the other side is is, is probably worth it. I mean, um, I guess that's for you to say. But it sort of strikes me as a little bit like because I know that you're you're an athlete. You know, you train for an event, and it's very common for athletes post event to, to suffer from depression because they've put all this effort into this day, and then their schedule and everything kind of falls apart. They've got no sort of driving thing, and I and I guess that sort of is uh, maybe a metaphor for your wealth journey as well. You got to the point where you were financially wealthy but it just kind of felt like well what do I do now or maybe there's just a hollowness to having as as much money as you needed but kind of like where am I at in life and and what am I doing with this money and and this freedom that I've got to to make my decision so I mean I, I really appreciate you you sharing that and 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 I guess the passion comes across now because of because of what you're doing. It does beg the question for your sort of mum and dad investors that are looking into creative strategies and maybe have a passionate about a uh, passionate about housing affordability. Because I think investors are demonised as as actually being quite callous and not really caring about that issue. They're just wanting to 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 
you know, up the rents. And, and I've interviewed and worked with many, many people who feel absolutely the opposite, that they actually have a real duty of care to the people that occupy their properties and they look after them and buy them Christmas presents and make sure that if there's a heat wave, the air conditioning is service and that sort of stuff. How can your average property investor get involved in something that, that's, that, that's like what you're describing with these multi-tenant um, properties? Is, is it just the realm of, of developers? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Um, no, it's not. Um, my, my, my thing about this market is that um, to fix the housing market, we need the very people that have destroyed it, according to everyone else, to fix it. Um, and that is the mum and dad investors. You know, that they make up um, 70% of all housing investment in Australia. Yep. And so if, you're, if, you're, if you've got governments creating policy for um, large institutional investors to fix a housing problem when they're only 30% of the marketplace, how are you going to do that? Like, that's an uphill battle. Um, so I'll also say to you about that day for suicide, I, I, I'm internally grateful for the worst day of my life. Yeah, that's, wow. that's a really big thing for me. Um, so if we look at it from the perspective of um, sitting at a barbecue and telling someone that you're a property investor and someone on the other side of the table having a go at you because you destroyed the housing market, then what better way? And I cop this on Facebook all day long. Yeah. Um, I market this and I market what I do, obviously, um, and you, I cop a hammering. After explaining the benefits to everything, about 30% of the people go, oh, I had no idea. 30% of them go, yeah, look, I hear what you're saying. Not sure if I can take it on board. Let me sit with it. And the other 30% are never going to change their mind anyway. Yeah. Um, so to me, what we decided to do was we know that by 2027 we need another 800,000 front doors to be able to cater for the growth of Australia, regardless of COVID or whatever's going on, just on our rate of growth of children creating new households. So you take an example. I've got four daughters. I've got um, three of them that have moved out. So my one household has now turned into four households, but actually five households because I've separated from my former partner. So we've now got five households that got created out of one. Mm. And out of all of those, they're all couples, right? Yep. So why take a four-bedroom house? So um, to me, I decided that if I was going to fill this gap of 800,000 homes, why don't I just show people how to do what I do? So I created an education program around it. I've got a teaching degree um, as well as being a plumber and a builder. Um, I, 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 you know, and my teaching degree, um, my major was in adult education or vocational education. So, you know, it's a, it was a perfect platform for me to be able to use my skill set. And um, I started to speak to people and then and teach them. What I found, though, was out of all the people that I've taught, very few of them pull the trigger, which is very normal of education programs in wealth creation um, seminars. So um, we then created the basis of saying, well, if, they, if they're not going to do it for themselves, then how about I do it for you? So I registered the business name, Do It For You Property, um, which is now called Invita. So um, Invita is, um, so I come from a Spanish background. My parents are from the north of Spain. Um, and Vida in Spanish means life, in life. 
So to me, this business is about creating cash flow for investors in a safe, affordable, adaptable home, and I'll talk about adaptability in a second, um, means that they can come in, they can have the security of cash flow at its best use um, and the security of a bigger funnel of people to rent their property instead of a four-bedroom house. Um, so InVita is about creating life for people, not for those, not just for the investors. It's also creating life and community for the people that live in the property as well, because we've lost community in Australia, and this is what brings community back. Like I remember growing up in a household where next door um, I had white arches on my house, and next door was a fibro house with Auntie Carmel, who I didn't realise was my auntie until the age of eleven, um, was actually not my blood auntie. Right. Um, but that woman, that woman raised me. Um, had me in her house. So we had a side gate that I'd go into a house every morning and she'd get me ready for school and she'd get me off to school. You know, that was the form of community that we've lost in Australia. And this is what is the formation of the new cult, I'll call it that, of community in Australia because we can start to socialise again. And COVID, people laughed at me when COVID hit and I said, you watch what's going to happen. I said, firstly, property prices are going to go up 20 to 30% in the next 18 months. Um, and that's turned out. There was only three of us saying that. Yep. Um Everyone else was talking doom and gloom. And the other thing I said was, yeah, I'm going to have a lull for about a month. And then after that, if we're in lockdown, what better way to handle the social um, outcome of being lonely than by being a co-living property? And we have had zero vacancy across myself and all my clients' properties, um, you know, for basically the whole time that COVID's been going. Um, so we effectively help people get into properties at somewhere between seven and a half to eleven percent return gross, um, which gives them a nice little tidy cash flow. I was just talking to one of my team members today. We've had a client come back three times um, in the last eighteen months. They've bought three properties, and that's that's achieved them um, about seventy five thousand dollars of cash flow from their properties. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. There's an interesting point you make about. Um, the, the sort of the death of, of communities. I mean, the, it's, there's the cliched story about, you know, the, the kids out on the bikes and come home when the lights come on. And I think people say, you know, it's different now. There's, you know, more sex offenders and that sort of stuff. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think there's just more media about it. And we live in a lot of fear. And I grew up in the country and, um, you drive past someone, you wave to them. That's just what you do because often you know them, but if you don't, they probably know someone that you know very well and you don't get that in the city, but you're starting to get that now when people sort of like you'll go for a run and you'll see someone and it'll be like a hi, like look at this, like we're out, there's a bit of community, like you're a person, I'm a person, we're going through stuff. Uh, I think that's a, a lovely idea if we could get that back into the housing market. I want to ask you though, so taking those people um, as an example that have got that cash flow from three properties, typically what, what does it look like? Are, are, these, uh, are these vacant lots where you're building these sorts of properties? Are you renovating existing? How does it work? Yeah, we've got three avenues that um, clients come into us from um, and they, they have, it's either they've had an existing property and if it's in the right location with the right policy and the right floor plan, we convert their property. Um, that they already own. Um, we use my builder's license and my team. Um, we have a buyer's agency that goes out and finds an existing property that has the right floor plan. We buy that on behalf of the client and then we convert it as well. Or we find infill land um, or work with developers on their land in the right locations to come out. Now, I will not invest in an area that I don't think will grow. Okay, so um, I take my 30 years of investing and I go, okay, 
Um, let's look at these metrics and am I happy with them? Am I happy with the area? If, they, if I'm happy with the area, then I'll invest that area. Now, just to give you an understanding, if we go through a house and land package at the moment, we're probably looking at a nine month turnaround from the time that we take a deposit on a block of land for the client through to the, the delivery of a um, somewhere between a three to a five micro apartment setup. That is where everyone has their own kitchenette, their own bathroom, their own sitting area, their own bedroom, and they share one communal area plus a laundry. Right? Yep. So that communal area and laundry sharing is important part of the policies. Um, in the conversion part of it, um, my team goes in there, we take over a property on a Monday, um, and by the following, by the fourth Friday, we hand them back a converted property, fully furnished and ready to be rented. So we're talking, we take a four bedroom, two bathroom house, um, generally into a five bedroom, five bathroom, five kitchenette, plus one major kitchen and a laundry um, in four weeks. And wow. we do that at a really good economical rate. We don't dig up concrete. We have some processes and systems that I've put in place over a number of years. Having sat on standards boards, I know what products are out there. And um, I don't use the old construction um, theology of putting our stuff together. We And everything that we do means that the house can be converted back as well. And so we make sure that everything we do is adaptable. Yep. So when the adaptable housing I was talking about previously, which is the next step in the marketplace and the evolution of what we're doing and we're concentrating on right now. Um, so we've gone from standard investors building four bedroom, two bathroom houses to me going, well, how about we get some cash flow um, and 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 make it a, a, make a difference in community? And now let's look at the adaptability of what we need moving forward to create that community even further. So if I was to build a house that can um, can be a normal house for a family, what if it could also be a house that could have a secondary dwelling built inside it and it can be used for that as well? What if it's a first-home buyer that can rent out part of their property to pay down their debt quicker? What if it's a, um, a downsizer or what we call uh, an up-lifer? Um, they call them up-lifers because as soon as the kids are gone, they're accelerating. What if an up-lifer could move into that and to rent out part of the house? What if I could make it an NDIS property? What if I could make it multi-generational? And what if I could make it co-living? Seven different outcomes out of one build. And that build doesn't change at all. It just changes the use. What doors do I close and what doors do I open if I get my floor plan right? And my specialty has been over the last 10 years, redesigning floor plans to make sure that we have a better outcome of the use of that property. That's really interesting because there would be some people that would say, okay, well, that's really good for, for cash flow and you know those numbers sound really good to me, but one day I will want to sell the property and I've minimised the buyer pool because it has to be an investor with a, an X amount to spend. But with that adaptability, you're at, you can actually tap into what is the demand at the market at that time that's going to get me the premium price. Is that the, the whole point of that adaptability? Yeah. When someone builds a four-bedroom, two-bathroom house, they're looking for a family. That's it. Yep. The only reason a single or couple rent a four-bedroom house is because there's nothing else to go for. Mm. And so, um, you know, you you bring up a good point. Well, you know, I'll only be able to sell it to an investor. Well, investors are investing all the time. Mm. And if I was to produce two properties side by side next to each other, where one property is a five-bedroom, three-bathroom house and it rents for $750 a week, and the house next door is a five-micro apartment set up and, and rents for $1,500 a week, you'd have to be nuts to go for the 750 a week. And what it actually does is um, the data that we're now pulling together is similar to granny flats. When granny flats came out in New South Wales, 
You know, there was no data for a valuer to be able to compare a house that's a five-bedroom house um, compared to a three-bedroom house with a two-bedroom granny flat or mm. a secondary dwelling. So what the valuers were doing were using the five-bedroom house. We've got the same problem at the moment, but it's just coming out of that. Once people started selling properties with granny flats, because you don't sell a house that's got cash flow most of the time, once there was a few runs on the board and we're fine, what we're finding is that houses are selling, like in the $700,000 range, a house is selling for $100,000 more if it's a co-living property versus a standard property. Interesting. So not not only do you get a better capital growth increase, but you also get the cash flow that comes with it too. Yeah, that, it's weird, isn't it, that the value is slow to, to take up on that because um, I, well, I, they need they need sales to be able to use the, the, the comparables, and we don't have comparables. We and the valuer won't use a comparable. If I developed a rooming house and told them it cost me seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, then they wouldn't take that as a comparable. I would have to sell that to the market before they'd take it as a comparable. Yeah, so we actually don't have data. It's it's crazy though because, you know, of their three methodologies, they've got the comparables, they've got the summations, so then looking at the land and what's been built on, then they've got the capitalization, right, which looks at the cash flow. And you can't you can't get a valuation on, say, a mine with a comparable sale. They, they don't use yeah. that methodology, but in, right. in Resi, they're, they're stuck in that comparable idea. And the problem is that we have, and we're, we're now um, got a couple of um, lenders on board now and they understand it now, um, but, you know, um, confusion equals no. So as soon as you put this in front of any bank and they go, no, nah, no, nah, it looks different, yeah. um, it must be the commercial section of the bank. And yeah. they go, no, but it's a residential property. Oh, yeah, but it's a boarding house. You go, yeah, but it's only five people in there or three people or four people. So we've worked to the point where we've now got of valuers that understand the capitalization of the property versus the residential usage of the property. So best and highest use or the use if it falls back into that place. And they're basically swaying basically in the middle of that. My thing has always been, I don't mind paying a commercial interest rate for the properties that I have if I want to get a loan against them, as long as I get a decent LVR. Now, should I really worry about that? I mean, I reside on the Sunshine Coast where people smile at each other all day long. Um, the only time people don't smile at you on the Sunshine Coast is when it's school holidays, and that's because they're Victorians and New South Welshmen. Um, <laughs> right. um, so to me, you know, the, the, the availability, I, I'm in New Zealand currently right now um, for a short period of time until I can get back in. So to me, I look at New Zealand and they're investing, and you cannot get a loan um, above 70%. Forget getting a loan above 70%. They just won't let you. Really? So maybe in Australia, we have to get used to the fact that we need larger deposits and maybe that'll put a halt to the property market going too strong. Mm, that's an interesting point. Now, I, I really want to uh, get you back, but we're sort of running out of time for, for today. Um, I just wanted to sort of close with, when it comes to this type of property, we, we've talked about you know the cash flow. We've sort of debunked that myth that if you've got cash flow, you can't have a property that's going to grow but what what sort of what sort of entry point are we talking from a from a price so if you're let, let's say it's a house and land or it's a conversion you know what sort of ballparks can your mum and dad investor be looking to get into this sort of high yielding property for yeah i mean prices have moved obviously significantly since um last year or mm. the year before um we have packages from about the five hundred thousand dollar mark yeah, um right. and we've got price points all over the country we specialize this across the country so we can do it in every state 
Um, so talk about five hundred thousand dollars for a house and land on our um, on our smaller models, our, our three micro apartment models. Um, then all the way up to probably an eight fifty um, package, an eight hundred fifty thousand package, which will get you somewhere between fifteen hundred to seventeen hundred dollars a week rent. So the the lower end of the scale at five hundred thousand um, dollars, you're probably going to get about nine hundred to a thousand dollars a week. At the upper end, you're going to get well over fifteen hundred dollars a week in cash flow. Yeah, pretty impressive yield. Um, Ian, it's been very illuminating and thank you for, for sharing your wisdom in the property market and, and also for, for, for sharing your personal journey as well. I think that's really really important to people and, and, and good on you for, for, for the bravery behind that. I, I think it's um, it's difficult for people to admit you know, hard days or hard times or, or what people might perceive as weakness, but obviously you've, you've turned that around. It's really inspiring stuff. So thanks for joining me. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers.